HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Juul, sous vide by Chef Steps. Juul takes the guesswork out of cooking. Learn more at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, our weekly food news roundup. Fall is finally here, so it's time to get funky and devote an episode to some of our favorite spunky microbes. Fungi just provide this beautiful, whimsical lens on how the world works. They have so many roles. They're this strange and magical-seeming group of organisms, but they've got it all figured out. Should you eat the cheese rind? Can you eat the rind? These are like the biggest questions. We'll answer all of your questions about mysterious mushrooms and crazy curds. Plus, we'll give you a sneak listen to the newest season of Modernist Breadcrumbs. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to The Line here on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. We're coming to you live from the Heritage Radio Network studio located in the backyard of Roberta's. And today my guest is Brandon Hoy, one of the founders and creators of Roberta's Pizza, the sprawling Bushwick warehouse pizza party that has spawned a million copycats and a million jealous chefs and restaurateurs. Where food lovers, young cooks, and restauranters used to look to Wolfgang Puck, Tom Colicchio, Thomas Keller, Alice Waters for innovation, they now look to Brooklyn and places like Roberto's to show us what a restaurant and what a food business and also what a food brand can potentially be. So Roberta's celebrating its 10-year anniversary in 2018 is sort of a big deal, especially for a place that when it opened was so in the middle of nowhere that people didn't even know where Bushwick was on the map. Over the years, Roberta's, all while garnering lots of critical acclaim, has had its share of controversies, its finances and fundraising outreach and founders, and we'll talk a little bit about that today, coupled with a wild reputation. If you ever made it to Roberta's block party, you know what I'm talking about. So from starting a frozen pizza business, expanding to multiple New York City-based locations, and opening up now an LA location, we've got a lot to cover with the COO of Roberta's Pizza. Brandon, thanks for being on the show. Uh, so I want to say that that's the best opening music that I've heard so far. I've been on a lot of shows here, and that was really, it felt really good. It's like a chill house. <laughs> I like it. It was the first one that they asked if they could use as the music bed. And I it, said, is it legal or is somebody going to sue you? For I using hope I'm not about to get sued. We've used it 69 times now. I'm going to start off on this show as I always do in the beginning. You're a California guy. I am. Napa Valley. That's right. Just a dude from Napa. How did you eat growing up? You do you have like a hippie family, a crunchy Napa family? Were you a all American microwave family? Tell everyone how Brandon Hoy grew up. Not 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 crunchy, but definitely not crunchy. Um, but but I ate good. My uh, my father worked for the Napa State Hospital, um, which is a, a a big hospital in Napa. He. Um, did rehab re- rehab uh, counseling? Yeah, rehabilitation, <laughs> and he used uh, farming as the technique for rehabilitation. So he had a farm called Camp Coombs. He took patients there and he taught them how to farm. He had, you know, he had rabbits and and uh, and chickens and all the stuff, and ate ate what they made and grew and fished. So so I grew up kind of 
eating very well. My father was, was my, my mom was also a great cook, um, probably more in the traditional sense where, she, you know, just uh, she, she learned how to cook um, uh, from a lady down the street, a Mexican lady down the street. So Mexican food was really like how her introduction to cooking. But my father was more just like a from the earth kind of dude. So, so really like this whole like farm to table thing was, I, I didn't, I don't think I even under, I don't think I even thought of it as a thing. It was just, that was kind of how I grew up. Did you always used to run around the farm when you were a kid or was did, that a separate yeah. part of your okay fishing? I always went fishing out there and, and, uh, there was, when I got a little bit older, I, I, I was really into mountain biking and it's, uh, butts up to the skyline national park. And it's beautiful, beautiful, like biking country. So I would always go out there. Um, I would, I would mountain bike around and I would hang out at the camp and, you know, I also, my dad would do like sleepovers with the patients and I would, I would go out there on camp with them. We would fish and, you know, cook and all that fun stuff. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you were a wild kid growing up. Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> and so I, 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 I like I don't think my my parents tried to take me out to dinner a few times when I was a kid and and then I I still remember the story about that like some Chinese food place where they had to like barricade me under a table with chairs because I was just like a, the Tasmanian devil I was, I was so beyond wild just, I mean you 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 know me I, I'm like I have you like, have energy more energy than a human being should possibly have so. Until I hit the couch. (laughs) When you're growing up in Napa, is there a Pizza Hut nearby, a Domino's? Like, what? I mean, you're in the pizza business now, so it's just worth asking, like, do you remember what you used to eat Mm pizza-wise growing up? And was it crap pizza, or was there good pizza in Napa? So, I I don't... I mean, I do recall Pizza Hut, and we had, like, Straw Hat, right? So, we had those two... Um, I don't recall those like being, I, those were more like what you did after soccer or something. It wasn't really, it wasn't really the, the places we, we had, we had like Mary's, we had small pizza places, Mary's pizza shack. And, um, uh, man, I can't even, I can't remember the, the other one in the Riverside shopping center. But there were places where, you know, some old guy or, or something, the family, spot and he was wearing a dirty apron he was tossing pot mom and pop mom and pop like like pizza parlors you know not like not like fancy you know pizza it was it was good pizza well crafted but it was more just like mom and pop style was napa any part of it either where you lived or some other part was it fancy then when you were growing up there or was that is that a later development yeah it it was later so i left i i moved um away from napa in 1996 um, but that's over 20, 20, what, 22 years ago. Um, and still, even at that point, it still hadn't really even made the full transition. But when I was a kid, it was still very rural. I think at that point there was probably only, you know, maybe 40 wineries. I think there's in the two hundreds now. So it, it hadn't really it, one, even at that point, there was no such thing as Napa style. It didn't know. It didn't know what it was yet. It was still like, it was still pushing into the, into the, like, uh, the thoughts of, of people as like, what, what could this possibly be? So it didn't really even have like its own personality. It was really still trying to find itself. I think when I was a kid, but it was very rural, um, you know, a lot of like hanging out and, and the like Safeway parking lot, a lot of, uh, you know, chewing tobacco and a lot of, uh, shooting BB guns and fishing. And, you know, it was just a, it's just the very rural, like kind of suburban, you know, childhood before you did, cut out and you left pretty early from that area uh you did a little bit of work in food you worked at a butcher shop for a little while this place called ernie's meats that's uh, right is that your first food related job were you like in high school middle I was school? In high school and what was that gig like i don't you- think it was i to be honest with you it wasn't my first food related job to, to be real honest my first job i was like 12 and i worked at um honey treat yogurt i worked at the yogurt shop next to mervin's uh, my sister was the manager there, so she was probably just in the shit and needed somebody to cover a few days during Christmas when nobody wanted to go to work. But uh, that was my first my first job. Um, I worked. I back waited. I was pretty much like a, a a a busser in a few places, like taco places before Ernie's. 
but Ernie's was my high, my my like high school job, and I was a butcher's assistant. Uh, my my best friend Matt worked there, and my friend Johnny worked there. We all we all kind of worked together. There was like three younger like high school kids, and then there was the the older guys who the butchers. And uh, we pretty much just assisted the butchers. We 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 helped them. I mean, we we still got to do. We still got to break stuff down. I mean, pretty much the shit work. Break down the chickens. Uh, and then you had to go up front and sell meat, right? And to then customers? we sold meat, yeah. Okay, so... And then also at lunchtime, it was across the street from St. Helena High School, so um, we also made all the sandwiches, which was like pretty much from 11.30 to like 2, that's all you did. You just made sandwiches. And then at like 5, then you you were mostly just like selling meat. So kind of an out. awesome classic butcher shop, like slicing deli meats for sandwiches, totally. but also full case and everything like that. Full case. They also did like, you know, they had like rotisserie chicken and they had, uh, you know, they w- they had like a tumbler. So they had like marinated ribeyes. So we did, we did like all that kind of stuff too. And... And then, you know, you, you kind of got out of Napa pretty early. You were doing a lot of music stuff when you were a kid. That was a big part of your life. What made you decide that you wanted to get out of there? And what were you, what were you searching for and where did you go? I have no clue what I was searching for. I don't think I knew what I was searching for until I was in my 30s. Um, it's, it, I felt, one, I have a lot of energy. And Napa was just felt very small for me. I, need, I needed to see things. So... You know, I moved around. I moved around uh, California first. I moved to Sacramento, and then I lived in Santa Rosa. Um, and then I, a buddy that I worked with at Ernie's, was living in Hawaii, <clears throat> and he had a good job. He worked for Roy's Kahana, and um, so he really wanted me to come out, which was probably good timing. I was like getting in trouble a lot. There was nothing good happening in my life. Um, so I moved to Hawaii. I did the same thing. I actually, uh, was a back waiter at Outback Steakhouse. Um, while I waited, I was on the list at Roy's. They were going to hire me at Roy's. They just didn't have any positions. So I got a job literally next door to Roy's Kahana at the Outback Steakhouse. And I just waited patiently until they finally hired me. Um, and I was a a bar back for Roy's Nicolina. And I worked there, it probably didn't last very long, a few months. And then I moved to the other side of the island and I started cooking at a place called Kaikuono, which was uh, right by Cam One. It was below Kihei Prime Rib. And the head chef of that place was started smoking crack and uh, just stopped showing up, which made, there was only three of us. There was the crackhead and, and me and, and two other guys, actually. So there's four of us. So the other guy who I worked with every day became the head chef. And I literally became the sous chef just out of the fact that there was nobody left there. And I think I was tw- maybe 20 years old, 19 years old. Um, Gotta love that shifting hierarchy. It was crazy uh, though because I worked like eighteen hours. I worked pretty much like seventy hours a week, and I was like just a kid. I had no idea. It seems like Hawaii would suit you. Good weather, probably surfing. It was nice. A lot of lot of fun things to do in the evenings to keep you busy. It was nice. Uh, How long did you spend there? And then why move to New York? Why come all the way across the? the country and the so globe. I was there for about a year um, it was pretty fast to be honest with you it was it, it Hawaii was great but it's like again I just went from like a, one small town to another small town it's like you're stuck on the rock it's it mm-hmm. gets it gets small really quick um, but I had these really good friends uh, Brian and Carl and Brian lived in uh, in Kihei he was one of my best friends in Hawaii and uh he was from New York, and so he was moving back to New York, and he was like, "Oh, you should come, you should move to New York." So I came out and visited them, and and it was it was it was curtains after that. I mean, once I saw this place, I was like, "This is this is it. This is where this like I was supposed to be here." So you got here in two thousand, and did. you started being involved in nightlife bars things of that nature what were some of those first gigs and like where where have you worked around new york city what kind of jobs have you had i'm sure you've run into some really weird stuff in nightclubs in 2000 yeah i put it in hard actually when i first got here i worked at the 60 thompson hotel 
and I was a food runner. And then I was a back waiter. And then I was a line cook. And I kind of moved my way up the line. And I was still actually running food and doing, I did, I was on the line four days a week. And I ran food two days a week. And then I helped out in pastry. And at that point, they were just like, this dude will do whatever. And also, he'll work as many hours as, as he... Like, I, I, honestly, at this point, I had like two friends in New York. I didn't really care about... I was not social at all. I just literally worked. I was just like, I'm going to grind. And, and then a uh, bartender didn't show up one day. And they were like, give it to the kid, man. He's never like... I, I had some bartending experience. I had, I had bar backed. Um, in the past in, in Napa, when I was young, I, I was a bar back for a club and I had some, and I bar backed at, at Roy's Nicolina. So I had some like experience in the bar. I wasn't just like going in cold. Um, but, uh, and I remember the very first day, Jean-Marc, who is the owner of, of, at the time it was called, um, Tom, the restaurant was called Tom. Uh, it's where Kitty Chai is actually that's gone now too, right? It's like some whole other restaurant in 60 Thompson. Uh, but I digress. So he's, he's this French guy. Um, and he's like, you know, standing over me and he's like, is this the drink is, are you sure this is the drink? Like everything I made, are you sure this is the, the drink? How it's made? Like it was the, the like he stood there the whole time, like pretty much dissecting every drink that I put out into the window. And it's like, man, you guys, you guys came into the kitchen, pulled me off the fucking line and put me behind the bar. Like, what do you expect is going to happen? But I, but I did, I made it. I, they, I worked in the downstairs bar. They, they moved me to the upstairs bar in the lobby, which is kind of where it's cranking. Um, and I got a lot of crazy experience there. And uh, at the time, my roommate was a bartender at Odessa on Avenue A. And a job, there was a, a few shifts available, and she got me the gig. And so I worked there, um, you know, early in like 2000. And I think I got that job in like early 2002. Um, Eric Foss also worked there, the owner of Lit. This was pre, pre-Lit. Um, and... That was Avenue A was like crazy back then. It was, you know, that was that was kind of the heartbeat of the the whole thing. I I just remember even even at Odessa one, Odessa was like this like wildly underage, like it was known to be the place where like NIU kids with fake IDs would go hang out. But it was filled with, you know, it was like everybody was there. It was like the Interpol and yeah yeah yeahs and the and the like uh, the Comet bus and all these people that were like, you know, popular, like popular at the time were all hanging out at Odessa. Were you doing any DJ work, music, anything in New York City at that time? So like, that, was that, was, a, that was the very, be- that's where it started right there. So I worked two days a week. I quit, I quit the, the 60 Thompson and I worked two days a week at Odessa and, and just being who I was that I, I couldn't, I couldn't not work. So I I only had two days of work, even though I was probably making enough money in those two days, I still needed something to do. So I got another job and I worked, um, I worked for, uh, Unimax, a tattoo supply company on canal street. I worked for, for Westwood and I sold tattoo equipment in a basement and, uh, which I made a lot of crazy friends like doing this job. Um, but so so I saw I like I like tuned uh, like tattoo machines and I sold needles and I sold like ink pretty much to everybody in New York because Did you get it was a lot like of the, free weird tattoos I, that people I do. wanted to try I've out. Ne- I don't think I've ever paid for a tattoo and I'm covered in horrible tattoos <laughs> like just some of the worst tattoos you've ever seen. I'm actually I have a tattoo in a book called like a thousand of the worst tattoos you've ever seen. What is it of? I have a dinosaur wearing a fanny pack. Doesn't sound like it might be one of the thousand worst, but hey. I, I mean, mean, it's really bad. It looks like a child drew it. <laughs> it's horrible. And so you've got and, so- and and that was where I started like then I then that was where I started like being in a band. Cause I met all of these like kids that I worked with and we formed a band. It was pretty much people from Unimax or the tattoo place above it called Sacred. So like I formed a band, um, Alabama Black Snake, and that was the origin of that was through the tattoo like through that that whole movement. Were you actually trying was it 
serious? Were you kind of half joking when you formed the band? Were you like, we're going to yes. get gigs and we're going to play? Or was yes. it just a thing? I was to totally do. joking. Okay. It was like, the well, first the band was called the Hivcocks, which was probably like not the best name. Not um, the most PC thing I've no, ever heard. No, no. Okay. Uh, this was pre-PC like PC was still like a new uh, there was like no like nobody had was indoctrinated yet to like political correctness right um but it was it was kind of a joke to begin with but but we became like you know New York popular it's like when you like play like we played Bowery Ballroom and we played Mercury Lounge and lit and you know we played all we we did the venues we did the like New York tour so you're bartending and you're in a rock band in New York City. There's something about having money and being in a rock band and knowing folks from the tattoo world and the bar world that probably makes your life at that point seem kind of glamorous. Like you've got it figured out a little it bit. It probably seemed glamorous from the outside. There was probably people who hung out with me that was like, damn, this dude's got it made. I never really saw it that way though. Well, I never really, it never really felt, it doesn't even like people today are like, oh, it's like, it doesn't, I don't feel any different. So at that point you, you have some money. The band is working in a, sort of real fashion where you're getting gigs and things like that. Are you squirreling away money and thinking to yourself, like, I've got a plan yes. back there? Yes. Do you have the plan back there at that point? Or is it just like an empty box? No, okay, I did. So well, what? I thought I was going to open a bar, okay. to be honest with you. I was like, in my head, I, I was squirreling because I was also DJing then at that point too. So I worked like two days at Odessa. I worked four days at Unimax. I worked, um, I DJed. I DJed Friday night at Beauty Bar. I DJed Saturday night at, at the Rated X Panty Party, Opaline. And I DJed on Tuesday night um, at, I can't even remember the name of some bar on 6th Street uh, between A and B. So I worked. I, I like worked all the time. And I, and I did. I just like squirreled away all my money. I just like saved and saved and saved. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to do a Manhattan bar that's the life that I'm kind of in right now. Were you living in Manhattan or Brooklyn? I was. I lived in Brooklyn. I've always lived in. I've lived in Fort Greene since 2000. So I've always lived in Fort Greene. I've never. Did, did I never I, lived in Manhattan? At that ever. point, did you? I actually did you have a vision for that bar. Or no, no, I just knew that. I, I just knew that I was going to get out. I knew that I was going to stop working for other people and I was going to work for myself. The first, the first like fruition of like me becoming a business person and doing it myself was was actually we I looked in Bushwick so I was looking actually in Bushwick like area East Williamsburg like for a bar before before this all happened and then and then at this point I was working at Royal Oak and Sweet Ups and I worked at Capone's and I DJed at, at uh, Supreme Trading. So like already like the Williamsburg thing was already starting to happen. My practice space was on um, was on North 7th and Williamsburg was like our like this thing was already happening by that point, which was probably 2005 or ish. So hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to start talking about how Roberta's the idea came to be. Stick with us Ooh. here on the line on Heritage Radio. This program is brought to you by Jewel Sous Vide. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of HRN and a real-life Jewel user. I use Jewel to help me host the most delicious dinner parties. When you cook with Jewel, there's zero guesswork. So steak, chicken, seafood, turkey, vegetables, and eggs all come out exactly the way you like them. The Paired app is super intuitive and has a great visual dentist guide. Jewel is awesome for prepping many perfect portions, making it easy to cook for a crowd, and it's hands-free so you can focus on entertaining while Jewel does the work. And pro tip, Jewel is also great for travel. I throw mine in my suitcase if I'm headed to a rental house with any kind of uncertain kitchen. From perfect steak to juicy, tender Thanksgiving turkey, Jewel makes the best food you've ever tasted. Just be sure to save some room for mini jars of pumpkin pie. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use code HRN as in Heritage Radio Network 
to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E code H-R-N. Welcome back to The Line. We started the first half of the show with Brandon Hoy. He's the uh, one of the founders of Roberta's Pizza, and we're actually sitting in the studio uh, in the backyard of Roberta's. Very cool to see what's happened here over the last 10 years. But before we get to the present, we have to find out how Roberta's as an idea came to be. So, Brandon, how did you meet the folks that started Roberta's? How did you all kind of come together and right. think this should be a thing we should do in a warehouse in Bushwick. Right. So Chris, so Chris and I, we, um, <clears throat> we worked together at the Royal Oak. So we, we bartended and at sweet ups, we bartended together. And, um, he uh, had, he was living on over here on Ingraham and he had a friend that lived in the building. This, this, um, Italian guy, Mauro. And Mauro, Mauro was a trip. I am an artist. He was, uh, he was, um, he was a very weird dude. And so one day Chris is sitting at the bar and he's like, man, I have this friend Mauro. Like, I'm thinking we should, uh, like want to open this like pizza place, you know? And, uh, and I'm like, we're talking at the end of the bar, taking shots. And, and I'm like, I'm in. And he's kind of like, like, I, I didn't ask you. Like, <laughs> like the look was like, I don't know. It's like, it's like, I got money. I'm in. Let's do this. And then he was like, all, all right. I think, I think in his mind, it was like, he hadn't even like, I don't know, maybe he hadn't fully like developed the thought that it was like really a reality, but also he, he was a doer. Like the dude just like, it's like if something like he just did shit like, and I, and I, and I think we both, we both had that like mentality at the time, which was just like, we were surrounded by a lot of people who talked about doing shit all the time and, and. Most of them never did it, and, and it happened really quick. Like we we like turned around, um, we found this space on on two sixty one Moore Street, and and you know I, it felt like it felt like at least a few. It was probably months before we were like after that meeting where we were like in the space, like starting to build it. Now it took us forever to fucking build the place. We had no money. I mean. We, we we obviously had money, but we didn't have like we didn't the have right this is amount. A, this of is money. a full we we did a full gut rent. I mean, there was nothing in this place. It looked like a there was stalactites growing off the fucking roof. It was it was there was nothing in here. And, was it uh, was it at some point uh, uh, an auto garage? Was it storage? It what was a was nut it? and bolt factory. Okay, and and the the people who had it previous to us, one, it had been like sitting abandoned for like two years and the guy that had it before us was just operating a construction company it was just his like construction company like it was like an office and they just like there was like a truck in here and there was like you know just crap it had like all their crap in it it was like a storage space so you say all right let's do pizza let's do it in bushwick who knew about how to make pizza so none of us um and so Chris and I went to Maro's hometown of Fasano in the north of Italy in Piedmonte. And we learned how to make pizza with some crazy dude who drove like a dump truck. His real job was like a dump truck guy. And he taught us how to make pizza in the equivalent of like an Elks Lodge for like a bunch of old people. So so like the cu first couple of days we just like made pizzas and then the last day we actually made pizzas for like the town of Fusano, which was like literally not even the town of Fusano, the elderly folk of of Fusano. So like all these like geriatrics like wheeled in and like after their bocce tournament. And um we made I don't know, we made a shitload of pizzas. I feel like we made like 150 pizzas that day. And we like cranked it out and we and we made pizzas and we 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 bought the oven, the the Pavazzi that's in Roberta's today. We bought that oven from Fusano from that town and we had it shipped over DHL. It actually got lost at sea for a few months. By lost at sea, they're just saying they're holding it until you pay them more money. It's just like kind of how the Italians do shit. Lost at sea. But um we we came back we came back with that recipe and we and we fine tuned it. We I don't think I don't think it was what we wanted it to be. It was still very um it was still very Italian, very wet and like 
you know, fork and knife ish. And I think we were looking for, um, we were looking for something closer to something that represented what New York was as far as pizza. So we were looking for a middle ground between like the Neapolitan style and, and the New York style. So we were just trying to find somewhere in between that. If you're, if you're like, if you loved like, you know, the DeFaro's and the, and the like Arturo's and the, and the, like those, those kind of like traditional New York um, places that we would be somewhere in the middle of that. How does Carlo become involved? Carlo is uh, now really leads the kitchen at Blanca. I'm curious how you met him and did his vision immediately match up uh, with you guys or was he always kind of on? You know, it didn't. Your brother was here. (laughs) We were like, it was really funny. So Carlo was my friend. Um, Carlo was like a dude that I hung out with. I met him when I worked at Odessa. Um, you know, he was, he was a friend of mine. And I think, I think really how it happened was I feel like we were in a cab with a a mutual friend, Amanda Pista. And, um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to open this restaurant. You know, you want to, you want to get involved. I, I, at the point, at this point I was like, we were completely out of money. We were like building, Chris and I were building the, like we were like raiding dumpsters and like pulling bricks out. We were like, we couldn't even afford materials. We were like literally stealing them from other job sites and like bringing them back and like building shit at this point. Uh, so, and, and I think Carlo had some money at the time too. So we, so I got, I pulled Carlo in, we were probably about I don't know, maybe halfway through the build. Um, and, and we pulled Carlo in and, you know, Carlo, Carlo had, he was an aspiring chef at the time. Kind of, he was working at good world. He was talented. And also, you know, his, his family, his dad cooks. I mean, he, he comes from like, like food, like literally he was birthed out of food, I believe. Um, so he had it in, him. But in the early days, it was it was very weird because it was like it was like Chris and I did pizza and Carlo did everything else food related. So there was like this huge divide, right? There was like the back kitchen. There was it was always called the back kitchen and the pizza kitchen, and they were almost like two separate restaurants. Even like the timing on how it came out in the old days, it was just like two different places. You had like food and you had pizza, and they were like you know op- operated operated differently it was like that for years and years and years yeah it was and uh i'm i wonder though when you originally had you know discussions with carlo like hey come on board do you do you think that he had ideas that this could evolve into a spot that houses a two michelin star restaurant no it's just no. Does that we all we were does that all still seem? It seems crazy. Okay, we were all incredibly confident though that it was going to be successful. Why? It we does, just you're in the middle of nowhere. You're stealing bricks. You're making pizza. You literally learned how to make pizza two days ago. Person, what, our personalities. Why? I just don't think. I, I just don't think failure was like. I don't think we ever. I don't think there was an exception for failure. Like none of us would have accepted failure. Do you think it would be possible for those that are listening that have that have never had the opportunity to be here? Can you take into words just the kind of vibe and aesthetic of Roberta's? Like, right. how do you, how do you articulate what happens? Here? I, I always say, and and this was the, like this was there was some intentionalness to some of this craziness. I mean, maybe not as much of the like ad hoc like patchwork kind of um aesthetic that that was that was due to the budget that we had to put the place together but like the long tables and the benches and the like kind of tightness of everything was by design we were really in the early days we wanted to have a place where everyone was together and pizza in our mind pizza was this thing where you had to reach to the middle and you had to share it like you, you this wasn't a place where you ordered your dishes and they came and sat in front of you like this was like you're eating like a family like family style and this was kind of pre i mean there was other family style places out there but it wasn't really like widely a widely popular way to dine at this time so we we were looking for a place where 
that was just as much of a watering hole and a place of community and, and togetherness as it was like a restaurant that was that was about the quality of food. I think I think to be honest with you, we kind of stumbled upon how good the place was from a quality standpoint. And I think that came that came from from Carla's desire for the food to always be better and and us to understand the potential that we had in the early days and I think and I think we hired well early on and we had lots of really talented people that came through here that helped us that helped us kind of in the the infancy stages to to kind of up the um you know the quality and and it was like once we saw how what the quality of food can be that became the staple of that became the backbone of everything we were just like we're gonna ride the quality on this thing and like the rest of it that was really important to us kind of took a back seat but it's still what creates this room and what makes it so amazing which is that it's so tight together and everybody's reaching into the center and and like you know your phone doesn't work here it, it just it's a dark hole for a phone service so it's like you don't see a lot of people like on their phones or taking pictures it's just it's a it's a very unique place inside also also you could have somebody a business person in a suit that's spending like a you know 150 dollars on himself and you know per person sitting next to somebody who's just having pizza and a beer who's spending like 20 dollars, and they could be right next to each other and i think like you don't it's just it's a unique a unique place. Did you guys fall? So that, that's my next question. Did you fall backwards into the way that the vibe here is sort of for everyone, but also it has this weird, like it's a motorcycle gang and like, fuck you, you're not welcome, but actually you are welcome. Just, you have to wait an hour like everybody else. And if then you're you willing inside. to wait, if you're willing to wait, you, once you get inside, everybody's equal here. That's how we feel. We, 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 we really, there was a time where we had to like, wash ourselves of this like shitty Brooklyn early days of Brooklyn popularity, like waiting, like, like service style, which was like, we're better than you. And, and we, to be honest with you, all of us hated it and tried to like cure that constantly. But we always just felt like if you're willing to wait, if you're willing to come here and wait, once you get inside here, you're, you're like, everyone's equal in here when you did actually get open were you busy from the jump here or was there a was there a learning curve of waiting for people to figure out that it was here we were uh, let's put it this way for for the neighborhood we were busy for like what what this place was we were busy we were busier than we should have been there wasn't enough people in this neighborhood to be filled up but we weren't busy like like this you know so you have the the food quality there, you guys are doing pizzas, Carlo is kind of setting a tone. I'm curious from a business standpoint, had any of you ever owned a business prior and did did you feel a little bit like you were all kind of maybe angling to figure out who was running the show at that point? Fuck yeah. Okay. It was wild. It was definitely wild. And but what does that mean? What does that wildness I, I, mean? I don't know, but the wild the wildness definitely translated to 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 kind of like what the restaurant was. Um, it was it there was it was kind of the wild west here, man. It was just like the whole mentality was the wild west. It was it was nuts, man. Did you dig that, or did you what, like was someone pushing for structure and everyone was saying we're no. busy, it's fine, or no? There was, there was, um, I think in the early days, nobody was push, pushing for structure. I think we were just enjoying, enjoying what it was at that time. I think, I think when opportunities came to grow the business, that's when the pushing for structure kind of came in. And then that's where, that's where people started to disagree on, on how the business should be run. I think that's, that, that was like, that was the wedge was like, was like, okay, now it's time to grow. How do we, what do we do here to grow this thing? And I think that's where, that's where like kind of the infighting and all that stuff, stuff came to be. The, the hype was fast and furious. It exploded into a representation of what Brooklyn can be. And it got, uh, dubbed as, you know, most important, this best that, uh, in your personal opinion, 
uh, is Roberta's, was it ever, and is it still one of, uh, or one of the most important restaurants in the United States? Uh, that's, that's, that's hard for me to say. Uh, I mean, I live so inside of it. It's hard for me to have any, uh, that kind of perspective on like what it is. Do uh, what, what I will say about the place is that I still, it's still really fun. And I think like, as long as we're always focusing on, on like, w- like, like I said, the quality of the food is the backbone of everything, but, but ev- it's everything else that we do around it that makes it interesting. And like the secret, the the secret, the special dust, if you will, is fun. It's a fun place to go. And we try to keep that, that, that alive. There has been a lot of, uh, controversy and it's been publicly written about uh, us. How controversy, how difficult was it, uh, for things to go down between the founding partners. And uh, do you think that there is a way ever that you guys are going to be on good terms again? Or is that ship sailed? Never say never. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I haven't, I, I don't, I don't give it a lot of thought. Um, it, you know, if it happens, it happens. I, I, to be honest with you, I don't, there's no like animosity. I, I just wanted to be done. I just wanted to be, have an open path to, to get this, to, to get the ship back, you know, to get the sails up and get this thing back in the water. The, the problem was when we were fighting, we were just like wrapped up in litigation with each other. We couldn't do anything. So it just sucked for three years. We were just like tied up, um, you know, just sitting here knowing that we were kind of in the prime of, of like, uh, uh, of the ability to grow. We, we, it was like, we were hot and, and it would have been the best time to strike. Um, and we kind of got iced. So we had to sit back and just like kind of go through it. So that, that was really the only, the only like craziness through the whole thing was to just like not really have the ability to like grow the brand. But, you know, um, would I change any, I would never change the way any of this goes down as crazy as it was, as crazy as it was on me and my family and, and probably, probably everybody involved in it. It was, it was a nightmare, but, um, I, I wouldn't change it. It actually, you know, it made, it made us probably all stronger. It definitely made me a better business person. I'll tell you that I'm, I'm definitely much more aware of, of, the, of the like ins and outs of how to operate this business. Um, and, uh, and probably, you know, toughened me up a little bit to, to kind of the harsh realities of, of operating. Um, so I, I really wouldn't change it. I, I, I just think like, I just keep looking forward, just keep planning for the next day and just, just keep like looking for new opportunities to, to grow this brand. I want to ask about some of that growth. So there's a domino development that's opening in Williamsburg. There's the new Roberta's that's in Culver city, California, and it's in a up and coming. I mean, I, I lived in Culver city 10 years ago, but Culver city is definitely a gentrifying part of Los Angeles. It's very, very, uh, clean with a lot of explosion going on in terms of see that's where an explosion d- button on the sampler would come in really 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 key looks Noted. like our engi- engineer is slacking there um, but my, my question is is that from where you started you guys hauling bricks out of a dumpster and now you're in like the two biggest bi-coastal fancy developments there's part of me that has to say does that feel un to you no, nothing feels on Roberta's. See, that's the great thing about Roberta's is there is nothing that's on Roberta's. If you if you if you're listening to what I'm saying, it's like you just every everything is and everything can be. So so the, like to define to define ourselves as, as like some ramshackle like put together by the by the you know ad hoc DIY thing is, is to like limit the, the, the reality of what we did. I mean, we built a two Michelin star restaurant right, right across from this, this crazy place. So, so we've always been, we've always been trying to define ourselves by what we can do, not what we have done. So I, I, I think we're always looking for an opportunity to, to show new pieces uh, of like, what what talent what talent is embedded in this in this organization? So so both of those things, yeah, they're they're, they're shiny and they're different. Um, they're they're also slightly different concepts than what we have here. Re, re, like recreating what we did at at in Bushwick is is probably never going to happen. If if we 
I would find it hard to believe that we're going to try to do this again because it is so unique. And, and the part of what makes it great is like its uniqueness and, and just the story that's told throughout, throughout it's, it's, um, you know, the, the 10 years that we've did it, the building of it, this is a place that you want to come see. And, and we're, we're going to keep that the place of the, of origin, right? These other places are just another opportunity for you to try the food. It, it was always our goal to feed people pizza and we wanted to get pizza to as many people as we possibly could. We, we believe in the product. We believe that Roberta's pizza is, is delicious and we're trying to get it to as many people as possible. Thus frozen pizza and why we even did frozen pizza to begin with, because it was another opportunity to us for us to show the world what we could do. And, and we thought at that point, frozen pizza, there was not a lot of good options and we would just thought we could do this better. Um, and I believe we did. You uh, a little bit ago alluded to the fact that sort of a lot of the controversy and a lot of the, the hardship that you've gone on with with fractured relationships has led you to become a better business person. You're the CEO of Roberta's. You've got frozen pizza, kiosks, bi-coastal, uh, multiple locations. Do you lean on someone for advice and mentorship uh, now that you lead such a sprawling operation? And uh, are you still just basically learning on the job or is there something that you do to make yourself a better leader of this organization? Yeah. Well, one, I think, I, I think the first thing is I'm completely honest with like how, what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And I'm, and, and I have a really good work ethic. So I'm, I'm also willing to learn. So I'm also like willing to try to fix the things, um, that I'm not good at. I, I, I I would I would probably say people I don't have a ego. I'm not like I mean I'm sure I have some sort of ego. I wouldn't be in this business if I didn't have an ego at all. But but I'm not uh I definitely don't think that I'm the best at what I do all the time. I'm always looking to to find people who specialize in things and and uh and and understand. So I'm always listening. I do I do have a you know, I do have a uh uh you know, a collection of confidants and, and people that I, that I look to for, for support. Um, I have, I have a very good, um, upper management staff and like the, our CFO and, and like our controller and, you know, like all, all of those things are people that are very, very knowledgeable, Um, not just in, not just in this realm, but just in the realm of business. And I think, I think like also to not be short sighted about like, um, this is how restaurants operate. Um, I've, I've like got past that. I'm like, how do businesses operate? What is a good business? And, and instead of looking at things like, well, this is a good restaurant. I look at them now as like, is this a good business? Is this a healthy, good business? So, so, and, and I think like a little bit of diversity too, like, you know, trying to see angles in other businesses that aren't food related and, and see what they do. Um, you know, it's just always, it's constant work, man. And I I think if you're willing to do the constant work and and willing to, to sometimes, sometimes do the really hard things, then, you know, you can, you can, you can grow things. So building off that, you know, this, it has so many heads to it. The frozen pizza here, you do dine in, take out delivery, Blanca's obviously right across the yard. You've got multiple locations in Manhattan that are like food court, fancy food court kiosks. So I wonder what's what aspect of the business is the most exciting for you from a growth standpoint and which one is the most lucrative from a growth standpoint? Maybe they're the same, maybe they're different. They're definitely different. And and I would say most of the time they're all like they're always different because usually the things that are the most lucrative are are not necessarily the most interesting. The the most lucrative things are are pizza. So the kiosks are probably the most lucrative things. And and in, in a perfect world of the best things to kind of stretch the arms of what we do. And 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 reach into markets that 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 may that may be interested in, in the product that we sell. The most interesting things are the things that we haven't done yet. So it's like always just thinking about like you know we're not a one trick pony. We we could we can definitely keep opening Robertas, but but like we have other we have other concepts up our sleeve, and Carlo and I work on other concepts constantly. So the things that are interesting are introducing new concepts, and. Uh, we haven't really done that yet. Besides Blanca, we we haven't we haven't done a new concept, but but we have some uh, 
you know, we have some some tricks up our sleeve. Anything you can possibly share? All Not that yet. Very vague tricks up Not your yet. sleeve. Well, Not yeah, but but we but and and let me just say this: we've worked on things that have like like fell through that just didn't work out for us. So sometimes so we those actually help with the totally. process. Yeah, totally. You build a deck, you build a concept, you conceptualize, you spend a lot of time understanding how the food and the aesthetic and how the flow of everything's going to work together. And then, then, you know, the business side of it doesn't work out the, the, either, you know, economically it doesn't work out or, or for some reason the timing doesn't work out. But you do, but you go through the exercise and you know you have it. And it's like, we've done that so many times and we have so many of these like concepts like prepared to, you know, 75% like completion that are just sitting there waiting for the right opportunity to strike. A lot of people, they have uh, one restaurant and then they dream one day that they can have two. And then the next logical spot from that is, oh, maybe uh, a really cool city in another country is some rich person that lives there is going to say, Hey, you should open one in X. You're in the unique position that I assume you've been approached before to open up a Roberta's everywhere, Sydney, a Roberta's everywhere. X. Uh, is there one city that is in the back of your mind that you think I got, I really wish we had a Roberta's there and, and maybe it's on the top of the list or something like that. Not anymore. Cause LA was like the one, you know, just being a California kid, like going to California was like really the only thing that was like besides New York that I really does that, that seem really like a feather in the Roberta's do. cap like while wow, you made it by coastal or do you think that that was a strong was that a strong business move because now you both. have I think there's a visibility. I think there's a changing tide of like of like I, I think that LA has like a really really the, the start of a really good food culture I, I you see it happening you're like watching it happen like in front of you and it, and and you know to be fair it hasn't doesn't have a long history of great food I mean, it has it has some pretty key places that have been there for a long time, but it doesn't. It's just, you know, it's it it just isn't there. And I and I think we're seeing there that 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 it's like really coming to its own. And and like Napa, it's like now it has its own identity. Uh, LA has its own identity, and it's great. And it's such a it's such a like unique place. And I think I think um, just getting to be involved in that is is special for us what does roberta's la contribute to the to the food scene there oh man you're gonna have to ask the food scene i i mean again i think we contribute like like i said with a state like we're giving them a product that we believe in um also just by does like we designed this place in a totally different way it gave us an opportunity to like show the full breadth of like what we do like as as restaurant designers and restaurant tours is a very different look than here. You teamed up with some guys to do a uh, pizza inspired design, a lot of shapes and a huge amount of colors, and you had more of a budget to play with. Do you we want did. to talk a little bit about how you we contributed did. to that part? It was of nice. It? Yeah, we did. We we um, I worked with an architect um, Jesse Voigt at, um, and. We, we 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 worked with a lot of materials that I I was like well let's just start here I I was obsessed with breeze blocks and I had this like crazy obsession with breeze blocks I was literally like trying to make everything out of breeze blocks at Robert like here everywhere what is that glass or breeze blocks are like concrete formed concrete blocks that are like open okay. So it's a, it's pretty much like a, a concrete block that has like a pattern in it that's open. So the pattern on the inside is triangles, like, you know, the slice of pizza. We used a lot of triangles and everything. So we just like the, we, by design, we do use triangles and, and, and a lot of things, but the breeze block, like back wall was just something that, that I had been just obsessed with. And I, I really wanted to express this, this thing. And, and, you know, from the help of, of, of a lot of like, um, great people, we actually got to, to make our vision a reality. It was great. Roberta, Roberta's is at 10 years, 2018. It's been 10 this years. Year, this year was 10. This is 11. This is 11. In, Janu in January, it'll be 11. So the, the party's still going. There's still Tiki Disco, right? The, clientele still kind of mirrors some of the beginning but now you've got a lot of people they bring their parents here you got people coming for business meetings and suits here uh some of the founders are a little bit older than they were at the beginning right Me? <laughs> 10 years from now let's fast forward yeah. roberta's is open for 20 years do you think 
if you're if you're still here hopefully you're still here are you trying to keep roberta's as this party atmosphere or do you think that there is a danger in it becoming like a kitschy version of its older self or do you do you want it to grow up with you I want it to be who it wants to be. And my job is to constantly be looking at that and making sure. And and as you raise a kid, it's like you, you can't force it to be what it doesn't want to be. So so my job is to constantly like be there, guiding it and loving it and paying attention to it so that it so that it can be its best self. That's all I can do. Uh, uh, to answer your question, if it grows up to be something more sophisticated, it grows up to be something more sophisticated. I'm not going to be mad. But if it stays this forever, I'm totally all right with that, as long as it stays this it, as the truth to itself. So if that's, what it, if that's what it just needs to be, if that's what the neighborhood wants it to be, if that's what the clientele wants it to be, that's what it'll be. As the guy who has to basically be the you make most or a lot of the decisions on the day-to-day uh what is the hardest or most challenging part of your normal day-to-day and what does that actually consist of like is it phone calls is it meetings i'm curious about people listening that are want to transition into the ownership position or that um want to open up their own place like what are the parts of your days that are very difficult for you um, it, it, this, that's a good question actually, but it, but it can be a, a number of things. I think, I think one, most of your time as a restaurant owner is just problem solving. So there, there's an array of problems that could pop up and the more difficult ones could, could happen anywhere. You know, it could be an HR issue. It could be a labor issue. It could just be, it could just be maybe something more technical, a construction is, issue. Any, any, any one of those things could be the craziest thing you had to do. But most of my days are, I, I, I would say probably about 20% of my days are, are focused on growth, business development, how how to grow the business. The rest of it is is focusing here on on what we can fix here to, in preparation for growth. So strengthening the labor force, strengthening the training, just just really trying to produce really high quality employees. I think that's that's really the most important thing because as you grow, this is the pot. Roberta's is the pot for us. Everything comes, everything comes through here in some way. Um, you know, our back office is here. All, of, all, all of the really important infrastructure stuff is here. So this is the heart of, of like what, what all of our growth is. So, so I would say really the most important thing is, is labor and, and, and like focusing on, on, on like training, you know, management and, and like moving people up and getting people prepared to, to either take on their own, um, you know, like our, our head pizzaola, Chris Ancona here is is now running the the LA shop and and that and that was a good move for him. He worked his way up from just a line pizza cook. He's been with us for a really long time, and uh, now he's running. Now he's the you know the man out there running it. So, um, and and a lot of people are like that. Um, Lee and Brittany who who were line cooks here um, are running are running the the are are also Sue's out there with Chris Ancona, and it's just it's. The important thing here is like training people and growing them and and kind of getting them prepared for our, our growth. There's too many locations to list them all, but Roberta's can be found all around uh, the United States now. But why don't you just shout out the HQ original address and then mm-hmm. tell everybody where they can find you in LA? Yep. So here at 261 Moore Street. Um, uh, between Bogart and White and Bushwick, right off the Morgan L train in LA, we are located at eight eight one zero Washington Boulevard in Culver City um, at Platform, and you can find us uh, somewhere in the middle of that development. You're looking looking for the bustle. We're also at um, two thirty Park, uh, across from <clears throat> across from Grand Central and five seventy Lexington at fifty first and Lexington. And, you know, soon to come a few more locations, Domino, Sugar Factory in Williamsburg. And yeah. And one more that you're about to slip in there. Maybe. 
Cool. Maybe. Brandon, thanks for uh, coming on the show and talking a little bit about the wild, crazy 10-year history. We didn't even talk about your brother. I know. There's no time for him. Oh, man. We loved him. Uh, it's It's been a pleasure. Thanks for being here. I bet we could have had another hour to really dig in deeper. Um, and thanks for uh, letting Heritage park in your backyard. Hey, man. Thank for, you. For just as long as basically you've been around as <laughs> for well. For real. <laughs> These assholes. I've been trying to get rid of them for like nine years. Well, unfortunately, I'll be here <laughs> next week with another show. You can listen to episodes of The Line every Tuesday at 11 a.m. here on Heritage Radio. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.